Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, turn to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs 6, we are um, at the end of our series of messages in Proverbs 6 that we have entitled, Seven Things That God Hates. And I I pray that it's been a challenging uh, group of series of messages, but also has been a a time in your life where uh, God has spoken. Uh, I believe that God will speak through every message if we listen. Uh, The Spirit of God can take and apply the truth that's preached uh, to our hearts in very significant ways. And so I pray that that's uh, been something that's challenged you as we went through the series of messages. I've been challenged uh, preparing them and preaching them uh, in my own life. And one of the things I've tried to be careful to do is to make sure that we apply every uh, text that we've talked about, every subject we've talked about, I've tried to apply that to us as a church, as individuals, as followers of Christ, because it does us no good to just hear a message, but we have to take the message and apply it, right? We have to do something with it. And so we've tried to do that, and today will be uh, no different, but I'm going to sort of speak to us, not just as, as individuals this morning, but I'm going to talk to us as a church, as a body of Christ, as we think about the subject matter that's before us. And so as we sort of draw to a conclusion Uh, this series of messages, I want to remind you, as I've been reminding you every week, but once more, I'll remind you that these seven things that we see that are here, first of all, is not comprehensive, that the list of sins could, could be expounded upon. We could put so many more sins in the list, but these, these sort of are comprehensive of types of sins that we see naturally played out in, and especially when you look at the very first one, when you think that pride is at the top of the list of these seven, is because pride is probably the root of all of our sin as we think about sin in our own life, certainly doing what we want to do uh, rather than what God uh, commands us to do or what would be pleasing to God is pride, right? And so as we think about the list, it's not comprehensive, so don't think that, but I do want you to understand that one of the things we've been saying every week is that every one of these sins on this list are a direct violation of the second greatest commandment. That is, God has called us to love him as the priority, right? He is the first greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Everything that you are, you ought to love God. Amen? That's the number one commandment of all of Scripture is to love him. The second, Jesus said, is like unto it in Matthew 22, and that is that you should love your neighbor as you love yourself. So you ought to love others as you love yourself. Loving yourself, by the way, is not prideful or arrogant. It's not to think more of yourself than you are. But a few weeks ago we said, and we brought it down pretty simplistic, that loving yourself means that when your teeth are nasty, you brush them. When your hair is needing grooming, you groom your hair. When you have needs particularly that you have of your life, you, you, you naturally take care of those things, right? You, you naturally do those things. But when we talk about other people, then that means I ought to be doing naturally those things towards other people. Not necessarily brushing their teeth or combing their hair, but obviously loving them. Putting, putting as uh, in my life a priority that they are ahead of me. They are before me. And so we love ourselves by taking care of ourselves. 
Paul would say it this way, no one ever hated his own flesh. And so we should never hate others, right? Uh, we love ourselves in that matter. We love others as well. And so we minister to their needs. And Jesus even said it himself, right? When he said to us when he's doing judgment and he said that, you know, you came to visit me in prison and you gave me a drink of water. And they said to Jesus, when did we do those things and minister to you? And Jesus said, the least you've done to them, you've done unto me, right? And so, uh, and, and vice versa, there was a crowd who didn't do that and said, well, when did we see you? And he said, when you didn't do it to the least of those, you ignored me. And so as we sort of bring down to the end of this series and we begin to think about the subject matter today found in verse 19, in, in Proverbs chapter 6, uh, it gets pretty serious. As a matter of fact, this is what we've been waiting for. This is, if you remember, all these different sins have been coming down to this one thing. And if we were to say anything, we could say that the rest of the six sort of help us to understand how number seven takes place. And so listen to what the writer of Proverbs says, chapter 6 19, verse 19, the second part of that, he says, God hates, God calls it an abomination, those who sow discord among the brethren. Those who sow discord among the brethren. It is as it sounds. It is as it sounds. That is discord. I want you to think about discord for a minute because when you look at that word and you define that word, here's, here's some definitions. Good preacher talk, right? Conflict, contention, and controversy. When you begin to think about discord and somebody sowing discord, it is that somebody is bringing about conflict, contention, or controversy. This person, as they're sowing discord, is having the intent to destroy harmony and unity. I want you to think about that for a minute. When you sow discord, you destroy you bring about dysfunction in a church or in a family or in a relationship because it's not bound just to the relationship of Israel to one another. But that word can be expounded in any type of relationship that we have. When you begin to sow discord in that relationship, you break the harmony and the unity of that relationship. Well, that's happened. We've seen that, haven't we? We've seen that played out just on the television screen when you watch a movie or when you watch the news or you see news reports about families and relationships. You may have seen it with coworkers at work. You may have seen it at school uh, with those around you at school. So discord is that which brings about division and destruction. So why is God so against it? Well, because of that very reason that it does divide, that it does destroy harmony and unity. And so when you begin to think about discord this morning, I want us to sort of just walk through three truths. And then it's not going to be a long sermon because you don't need a long sermon on discord. We sort of understand that discord, contention and controversy and conflict, we, we all understand. And nobody likes those things. We, we, we're not sitting here today saying, well, we like those things except for the person who does it. This has been my... Uh, understanding in ministry as I looked out over the contentions and the fights and the bickerings that I've ever been a part of in church life, that the person has had a history of that. And David, you know as well as I do, that what they tell the preacher is, well, so-and-so's just been that way. That's just who they are. Well, let me tell you, bless God, if Jesus is in your heart, that isn't who you're supposed to be. Amen? You're supposed to be different. 
Why? Because Jesus changes you on the inside. I told you it's not an easy message. It's not going to be long. You ain't going to be able to stand it long, but I'm telling you, I'm going to be forthright this morning. Amen? Because here's the problem. The problem is, if I don't watch my life, I'll be that person. Amen? And that's one of the things I've been trying to tell us all throughout this sermon series is that let's not point the finger across the room. Let's look at ourselves in the mirror and go, Lord, is it me that's prideful? Lord, is it me that, that gets away with, or I think I'm getting away with telling a little bit of lies here and there? Lord, is it me that's running swiftly to do evil? Lord, is it, is it me that is the murderer because I have treated my brother or my sister with contempt as Jesus said I had in the Sermon on the Mount? Boy, really, we have to look at ourselves and go, Lord, is it me who stands in the need of prayer? And I'd say that at times we'd have to say, oh, it is me. It is me. So when you look at the text, notice, notice what he says in the text. These very short words. He says to us, one who sows discord. So the first point I want to make this morning is simply this. The sower of discord. There has to be somebody who's sowing discord. Right? There has to be somebody. I mean, in order for God to hate this particular sin, there's somebody who's committing the sin. And so I want you to think about the sower of discord this morning. This person, as you think about it, and I've talked about certain people who love to do this, uh, I would say probably they have a spiritual gift of being a, a sower of discord. <laughs> you know, it just seems like it's natural. It's a, a habit. Yeah, it's a joke, obviously. Uh, there is no spiritual gift of sowing discord, right? But I want, you to, I want you to think about the type of person, who is this person that is a sower of discord? The first thing I want to tell you, Proverbs 26, 21 says this about this person. As charcoal is to burning coals and wood to fire, here it is. So is a contentious man to, content, uh, to kindle strife. So what is a contentious man? Well, here's how it's defined. As one who argues, who disagrees, and who causes strife. See, a person who is sowing discord is already within their own heart contentious. Contentious. That is that they're willing to speak out and cause conflict because that's what they do. Because they are within themselves very contentious. They're, they're not content. They're just the opposite of that. They're dissatisfied. Maybe they're puffed up. Maybe they're arrogant. They think they're right. You ever met anybody who thinks they're right and everybody else is wrong? You know, I, I remember when I first came here in May of 2008, I preached the trial message. You remember that message today? I preached on Genesis chapter 11, the Tarot of Babylon. One of the illustrations I used in there was that it's interesting that I was watching this film and there was these soldiers that were out there and they were marching and, and Maggie and Lyon, they were all marching in union in unison except for one guy who was marching out of sync. You know, and it wasn't right, you know, left or left, right. They were getting it all wrong. He was all wrong. And his wife nudges the lady next to her and goes, look at that. All those guys are out of step with my husband. You know, it's the other way around, sweetheart. Your husband doesn't know what he's doing, right? And can I get an amen from all my army guys out there? Amen. And even us Air Force guys know that, right, Ed? Amen. That's right. We all know what it means to march in step. Well, the contentious person thinks that everybody else is out of step. And they think they're right and everybody else is wrong because everybody's marching out of step when the reality is they're the ones out of step. Why? Because they got a contentious heart. They got a heart that complains and divides and bickers and causes these fights within a relationship. But why? Why is this person doing that? Well, write this word and I'm going to tell you why. Here it is. You ready? It's so, so huge. You ready? Number one, 
They're sinful. <laughs> They're sinful. You say, well, that's all of us, isn't it? Well, certainly so. Certainly that's all of us. Well, so we got to be careful because it could be us. You know what I'm saying? It could be us who is causing division really easy because we're all sinful, right? We all have these ideas in our head and our minds that, you know, we think that we're all that in a box of chocolates. And the reality is we're not that in a box of chocolates. Amen. We think too much of ourselves at times. And so this contentious person could be us because we all have that tendency to be sinful. We all have that tendency to think we're right when everybody else is wrong. But, you know, when I listen to people talk and sometimes I hear them, it's interesting to me that, you know, somewhere along the line, when you begin talking about this relationship and that relationship is going wrong and that relationship is going wrong and that relationship is going wrong, or I left this church because there was problems, or I left this church because there was problems, or I left this church because there was problems, you begin to say, wait a minute, whoa, tell me Maybe it wasn't this church or this relationship and this relationship and this relationship and this church. Maybe it was you. But we never stop to think about that, do we? We never stop to ask ourselves the question, well, maybe somewhere in this dynamic, I'm not doing something just right. You know why? Because we're sinful. But not only that, number two, write it down. This is, this is astounding too, right? Let me give you some astounding truth. Number, number two is that we're prideful. We're prideful. Amen? I put, I put right beside that, selfish. Selfishness destroys. Amen? We teach our kids when they're growing up. Share your toys. I tell you, that's one of the hardest lessons we're teaching our twins at the house. Share your toys. Sometimes they're really good at it, but sometimes they're pretty bad. You know, and, and Haley's learned how to manipulate her sister to get her toy out of her hand. And, you know, it's, just, it's, it's amazing when you watch kids and how they, how they do this. But it's terrible to watch adults doing it. Amen? When they're prideful, they, all they think about is themselves and what they want or they're selfish. Can I just be honest with you? I've read a lot about church. I've been involved in a lot of church. And can I just tell you that most churches that have contention and bickering and fighting and disagreements and everything else in their church, can I tell you what it's not about? It's not about doctrinal integrity. It's not about truth. It's about pride, selfishness, and personal preference. Shame on us. No wonder the world doesn't want to go to church. I don't even want to be in a workplace like that. Amen? I mean, some workplace out there, I don't know how y'all do it. It's full of drama. I talk to folks at church, they go, man, y'all don't know what's going on in my job, man. This is full of drama. And I'm like, from adults? Like, do you work in the high school? They're like, no. I work... I work with soldiers or I work, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like professional jobs too. I mean, it's like, it's crazy. But it's because people are sinful and people are prideful and selfish. But here's another thing. This person who sows discord is a gossip. Listen to Proverbs 16, 28. A perverse man sows strife and a whisperer separates the best of friends. There it is. Division. Division. Right? So think about this for a minute. The person who's a gossiper is also the same person who sows discord. In other words, when you hear a good, juicy tidbit on somebody, let it die. Leave it alone. Don't share prayer requests. Amen? Because that's how we dress it up in church. We share prayer. Oh, man, let me tell you. Let me tell you about Matt. Matt and Stacy are fighting. 
Just pray for that. Pray for them, brother. Their marriage is not going to make it. Pray for them, please. All right? The Matt and Matt twins. I love it. The M&Ms right there. You, sit, you see? Why do you sit close together? I get you. But you see, isn't that what we do? We gossip. And, and we, we love to tell the story, right? Not, not the gospel story. The story on everybody else. Gossip is divisive. It sows discord in the church. But here's the next one. Write it down. This, this is really good right here. Fault finding. Fault finding. Listen to Proverbs 17, 9. Listen to it very carefully. He who covers a transgression seeks love. Now, this doesn't mean we hide sin. That's not what it's talking about here. But what it's saying is the opposite. Listen to, listen to the rest of the verse. But he who repeats a matter separates friends. Here, here's what he's saying. It's not that we're covering sin. We're not trying to cover up and throw the rug over sin. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is when I sin or somebody else sins, you're not quick to go out and spread that sin to everybody else. Amen? Yeah. Oh, did you hear what the preacher did? You know? Well, I rode by his house. He was outside smoking a cigar. I'm going to tell everybody in the community, you know? Or we begin to repeat the sin of somebody else. Listen, that's not what we ought to be doing. Amen? If anything, we got a concern over somebody saying we ought to go to them and talk to them and pray with them and encourage them and lift them up and ask them to repent. Matthew 18. And so we ought to deal with other people's sin by keeping our mouth shut. You say, that's akin to gossip. You darn right it's akin to gossip. Amen? Keep your mouth shut. Write this one down. Here's another great one. My list, by the way, is not comprehensive. I'm just giving you some biggies. Here's the next one. Argumentative. You ever met anybody who's argumentative? You used to tell somebody in my family you would argue the horns off a billy goat if you could. Amen? I learned that down south somewhere. I didn't learn that in New Jersey. Second Timothy 22:23. Listen. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Ignorant and foolish. Those two words, by the way, when you put them together, what he's saying is this. Stay away from stupid arguments. And, and things that, listen, and things that don't mean a thing. Amen? Things that don't, so stupid is one of the words. The other is, it doesn't mean that it's vain, it's useless, it's pointless. But boy, isn't that the kind of argument we love? Isn't that the stupid kind of argument that's going on in this election stuff? Man, I get sick and tired of this. Y'all getting sick of that time? I'm sick already. It's pointless. It's useless. And I'm sick of it already. But I get sick of it in the church, too. I get sick of it in my family. I get sick when I do it. There have been times I had to go back and grovel at my wife's feet and say, boy, I argued over that. That was stupid. You know, I come from a long line of arguers. <laughs> I really do. I come from a long line of them. I tell you, I, I can, man, I should have been a lawyer. Amen. Because sometimes I just like to get in the fight. You know what I'm saying? But you know what it does? It causes dis- disruption. It breaks the unity and the fellowship. We ought not be argumentative, folks. That's the sower. But as we think about the last part of the sermon, I just want to say this. There is the church and there's discord. This is where it's going to get real real, okay? So you hold on to your seats. 
This is when we're going to bring it down because I want to remind you, first of all, here's what Jesus said about us. Jesus said in Luke 11, verse 17, every kingdom that's divided against itself is brought to desolation and a house divided against a house, what? Falls. See, here's the reality that a church that is in conflict, a church that is in disputing and a church that tolerates that kind of thing will be a church that will soon be empty. See, I dare tell you that part of the reason why we have seven Southern Baptist churches today will have their last service and be done. They will not be there next week. Perhaps the reason that is, and some of it is, we know because they got their eyes off Jesus, they got their eyes on themselves, but let me tell you, some of it is because there was disruption because of conflict and the sowing of discord among the brethren in the church. And they're done. Can I tell you this statistic too? 1,500 pastors today, this month, will be done ministry and will not go back to a pulpit or serve a church. Now, I'm just going to be frank with you. i just be very honest, okay? You know I'm that way anyway. I'm going to do it anyway. Some of them need to leave the pulpit. Some of them in their own demise. But there's a lot of good men out there who love Jesus, who got a call from God to preach, who had a passion to serve people who have been treated in ungodly ways. That's sad. Because a church is in a state of conflict. And Jesus said a church that is that way is going to divide itself and bring itself down. And so we got to be careful, folks. I guess what you're hearing me say today, right, is that you and I, we need to protect the unity of our church. That's what I'm saying this morning. Because some churches are not known. Listen, I wrote this statement down so I wouldn't forget it. Some churches are not known. Uh, or, or excuse me. Some churches are known not for the gospel, nor for fervent prayer, nor for love. But some churches are known for contention and division. And we know this because you and I could right now probably think of some churches that have been in a constant state of conflict and division. And they're in our minds and we know who they are. And we can even... Name the, the people in the church that probably did it, especially in this probably 20-mile radius of our church. We know. We know. We've heard the stories. And while some of them are fabricated, while some of them are probably embellished, there is some truth in a lot of stories about division and conflict in the churches. Hmm. And again, let me just remind you, I wrote this down again. I'm going to say it again. I already said it, but I'm going to say it again. Most churches that experience this type of division... Again, it has nothing to do with truth or the Bible. It has to do with personal preferences and personalities. Amen? Listen to what Paul says. Listen to what Paul... Here, we're going to get down to the degree. Here's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 3. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you... Listen, Paul is really giving his heart here. Paul is really pouring out his heart. <clears throat> he said, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling for which you were called. Well, I can just preach a sermon right there. That is, if Jesus Christ has redeemed you and you are his, then you ought to work worthy of that calling. Amen? Listen, the only way you can do that is to yield yourself to the Spirit of God who will operate within your life and help you to walk godly before the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't do that in my own strength, my own power, my own ability. What Paul is saying here is, are you yielding? Are you yielding yourself to that calling to which God has called us? Listen to what he says, <clears throat> Number two, verse 2. He said, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering... 
bearing with one another in love. Let me tell you something. We can put up a lot in church, amen? If I will just be the type of person, listen, who's humble, lowly, I'm gentle. If I'm the type of person who's long-suffering, that is, you know, I, I'm able to undo, un, uh, under the pressure of others, I'm able to endure. And that is bearing with one another in love. That is putting up with each other in love. Listen, sometimes we have to put up with each other, amen? Marina's been putting up with me for 33 years, Amen? Some days that's been a great joy in her life. Some days that's been like, oh, I've just got to do it. Amen? Let's just be honest. <laughs> that's all of us in this room who are married, right? And if you're not, you've got to go back to those verse, uh, uh, what is it, verse, uh, verse 16, second half, or excuse me, verse 17, the lying tongue, right? Um, but notice what he says to us as he continues. Verse 3 is so important. Underline this word. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring. That word is an interesting word because what it means is it puts some responsibility on me. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? That what he's doing is he's saying that it is, it is for me that I pursue with intention the unity of the fellowship of God's people. And notice what he says. <clears throat> notice that word. Unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. After all, let's remember that when we destroy churches, that we're destroying what the God has brought together. Because it's by the spirit of God that we're here. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're here by the spirit of God. Amen. He has brought us together and made us a body of Christ right here in Level Plains to be part of one another. And anybody that destroys that, Lord help them. Lord help them. I'm supposed to be eager for the fellowship of the church to keep the unity of the faith. After all, listen to what God says through Psalm 133.1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Well, that's sweet. Amen. When you got a sweet fellowship at church, when people love each other and it's evident and you can see that on each other, boy, I tell you what. That's just a place I want to be. Amen. It's a place I want to be. Well, one last warning and then I'll be done. Because here's the thing. What are we supposed to do with a contentious person? What are you supposed to do? How do you respond to that? Because the reality is we're going we're gonna to eventually be there. We're eventually going to have that in the church. How do you respond to that? Because I think that's a good question we need to ask yourselves. Okay, what do I do? What if I'm that person? Well, listen to what Paul tells us in Romans 16. Very sobering words, may I add. Now I urge you, Paul talking to us, now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses. The first thing you're supposed to do is take record. Who is it? Who is this person? Can we name them? Do we know who they are? Certainly we do. When I was in one of my churches, I had a lady who hated my guts, told me she hated my guts. And when I went to my deacons and said, look, this is a problem. They said, oh, man, she's been that way for 50 years. Well, bless God, somebody should have dealt with that 50 years ago. Amen. If she'd been that way 50 years. Now I'm worried about her soul. Is she saved? Does she know Jesus? You've been that way 50 years? Told me she hated me to my face. Told me she prayed five preachers away from that church. And I was going to be the sixth. I said, well, bless God. I came here by prayer. I'll leave by prayer. Amen. I mean, prayer doesn't intimidate me, brother. Amen. I want somebody praying. By the way, if you want a better pastor, you want me to be better, pray for me. 
Don't gossip about me. Don't run me down. Don't think, don't tell everybody what you think I ought to be doing. Amen. That's happened here. Listen, I, I'm not a fool. It's happened here. It's gotten back to me. And listen, I've been around on two Facebook posts already. Hey, I, hey, I know what it's like to be on social media and be run down. Amen. I've been bullied. I've been cyber bullied. <laughs> but you can't take thought of all that stuff. Amen. So what do you do? Nothing says. Note those who cause division and offense. So know who they are, who are contrary also to the doctrine which, which you have learned. Now, doctrine here is not just a set of theological truths. Because you remember, if you take the word doctrine, you can also apply it as, as Paul told Timothy, that those who follow our doctrine is not just who follow a set of religious principles, but it's also who's living it out, right? Who's living the truth. So he says, if they're contrary to what the truth of the gospel is, that is the truth of the word of God, that is what the Bible says, what the Bible teaches, what Jesus himself instructed. If they're, if they're against that, he says, do what? Avoid them. That's tough. Because you know what I found out? Those people that are contentious, they will seek you out. <laughs> Amen? They will come find you. Avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. Remember we talked about pride and selfishness? But their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering, their speech deceives the hearts of the simple. I'll conclude by telling you the story. There's a, an acquaintance I have. We went to college together. Was serving in a church. A conflict arose, David. One of the deacons was in conflict with him and caused a lot of problems. This deacon ended up leaving the church because he couldn't win. He couldn't win his battle. He ended up leaving the church. A year later, he came back in and he smoothed. And he used flattery words. And he, and he captured all that into religious jargon. And they took him back into the church and quickly made him a deacon. Within a few months, he became the chairman of deacons. Within a few months, the pastor had to leave. Don't tell me it doesn't happen. Church, we have to protect ourselves that we, me, will not be a sower of discord among the brethren. Let's pray. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.